January 20th, the Biden-Harris administration will begin its work. There will be a smooth transition to a second Trump administration. Barr encouraged federal prosecutors to pursue what he called substantial allegations of voter fraud, even though there was no evidence of such in this election. Hi, I'm Jim Saxa, and this is The Transition, a special edition of Political Theater. It is Tuesday, November 10th. Sir, what do you say to the Americans that are anxious over the fact that President Trump has yet to concede and what that might mean for the country? Well, um, I just think it's an embarrassment, um, quite frankly. It's been a full seven-day week since Election Day, but you wouldn't have guessed that talking to most Republicans in Washington. The AP called the presidential election for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris four days ago. But the administration and many GOP senators still refuse to acknowledge the new president-elect. And this is beginning to have real-life implications. Just today, President Trump filed yet another lawsuit, this time in Pennsylvania, alleging irregularities that, even if they are true, wouldn't change the vote count. This adds to the flurry that have already been filed and dismissed. To make sense of all of this and a whole lot more, we have CQ Roll Call's Niels Lesniewski with us. He covers the president and Congress. Later in the podcast, we will hear from Ellen Ferguson on what the transition means for the agriculture department. Niels, thanks for joining me. Thank you. So today's traditionally been the day that the outgoing president meets with the incoming president for a photo op in the all in in the Oval Office and gives a little speech about respecting democracy and wishing the new guy well, even though we don't always see eye to eye, that sort of stuff. But that's not happening today. And it's probably not gonna happen anytime soon, is it? No, it, it's, it's really, uh, looks like it's gonna be a long time, if ever, uh, before uh, President Trump and, and President-elect uh, Biden have any sort of meeting like that. We've got, uh, as you say, there are all sorts of of legal challenges and the president uh, not really recognizing the reality of the situation uh, that he has lost. Uh, and also the, the Biden operation seems to be set up in, in Wilmington, Delaware, and maybe there uh, for the foreseeable future uh, trying to sort of get their act together and get things organized uh, without necessarily having all the sort of usual support systems that are supposed to be in place for a presidential transition. Yeah, and without those support systems, I think a lot of Democrats have been freaking out about that. Um, but Joe Biden just gave a press conference a few minutes ago, if I'm not mistaken, uh, before we recorded, I should say. And he basically said that everyone should just relax, right? That's right. The, the, the president-elect uh, said that there's not really been that much of a material effect on his transition operation just yet. Uh, he is uh, urging caution, I would say, caution and patience, uh, which are tend to be the way that, that Biden operates in in sort of usual context anyway. Uh, he said that he hopes to be able to name some uh, cabinet nominees before Thanksgiving. And uh, he said he would be talking to, he said he'd already talked to some congressional leaders and would be talking to more. Uh, but I don't think that there's uh, as much concern from uh, the, the former vice president himself 
as there is from, you know, Democrats on Capitol Hill, outside advisors and the like, who are, are way more concerned, at least publicly, about the uh, legal situation of the transition and the role of the General Services Administration uh, than, than the uh, president-elect himself. Yeah, and a lot of Republicans in the Senate have been, the last two days, they've been defending the president, uh, saying that he's merely availing himself to all of his legal options, and he certainly has filed a bunch of lawsuits. Do you think any of these have merit? Uh, what's the end game there is a real question. You know, I think that's everybody's question as to what what exactly the the president and his 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 legal team um, sees in terms of where this this is going. Um, I think it's it's fair to say, uh, with all due respect to Mayor Giuliani and company, it's not clear to me that the president has the finest Republican lawyers in the country working on this effort at this point. And so it's not clear to me uh, what they're actually going for from a legal basis. There has been some um, reporting and speculation elsewhere that this is sort of a setup for the president to be able to claim that the election was stolen uh, so that he can begin his 2024 campaign, trying to become the first person since uh, Grover Cleveland to be a non-consecutive president. Um, and that may in fact be what's going on here, because it's hard to see anything, even if some of these lawsuits are successful, it's hard to see enough votes being thrown, enough ballots being thrown out uh, to change anything, really. Yeah, and I, I know that they're fundraising off of these lawsuits, uh, sending out emails, but the emails apparently have uh, a little uh, a little bit of a um, the, the small print... Uh, uh, on it, the fine print on those says that it goes towards campaign uh, debts. So yeah, it could be just setting up. Uh, you know, if people were hoping for there to be a reprieve from the 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 craziness of the last four years, they might be sorely mistaken. Um, let me uh, change subjects a bit. Um, what does all this mean for the lame duck session that we're in theory currently uh, in? Congress still needs to pass appropriations bills, and pretty much every economist that I've heard talk about it says that we need to pass additional COVID relief ASAP. So does this ongoing legal fight and distraction make those tasks harder? Well, there, there's sort of a two-track problem here, one of which is that um, the economy and by the economy, I mean the stock market, because as you know well, uh, Jim, from covering financial markets for us, um, the economy and the stock market are the same thing if you're Donald Trump. Uh, it's not the same thing to anyone else in any small business or people trying to put food on the table across America, but to the current president, they are sort of the same thing. And then that's sort of the risk. The fact that the stock market is up uh, so much in the last few days uh, since the announcement of the vaccine uh, from Pfizer, it, it lends to the possibility that the president will think less relief is needed. That is certainly some of the messaging from Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell as well. And so we could find ourselves just back in the usual 
uh, predicament that we've been in for so many months where House Democrats want a lot more money in terms of a stimulus package than do the uh, Republicans. Yeah, so this is political theater. Let's talk about the political implications of all this. Uh, we have uh, a potential COVID bill uh, or a potential government shutdown uh, in the, the lame duck. And we also have the president who is uh, refusing to concede an election. And that is all while we have two Georgia Senate seats up for grabs in a January 5th runoff. So what, how are all these interplaying with one another and what can we expect besides an insane amount of money being spent uh, down in Georgia? You know, I wish I owned a television station in Atlanta right now because that <laughs> would seem like a good thing to be in the business of doing. But uh, short of that, I, I wonder how much, and I think this is going to be the real question, is how much interest in the president's role in that Georgia Senate runoff affects how Senate Republicans handle the election situation. So if they believe that they need Donald Trump to crisscross Georgia between Christmas and Election Day, um, that they need him to basically leave Mar-a-Lago and fly up to Georgia to hold rallies for David Perdue and Kelly Leffler, the two incumbent Republican senators, uh, then they need to be really nice to him, probably, in terms of how they handle uh, breaking the news that he has lost the re-election. And so that's one piece of the puzzle here, is how do, how do the Republicans deal with that? The other piece of the puzzle was maybe partially solved last night, uh, on Monday evening. On Monday evening, um, Senator Joe Manchin, the probably most conservative Democratic member in the Senate uh, from West Virginia, went on Fox News and declared dead the idea of eliminating legislative filibusters or of packing the Supreme Court if Chuck Schumer's the majority leader next year. Uh, and, and to me, that's a really interesting tactic. Manchin ultimately would probably have come down on that side of the, the ledger anyway, but the fact that he pre-announced it uh, to try and maybe bring down the temperature a little bit in Georgia in particular, uh, I think is noteworthy. Yeah, it seems like uh, that that could take away some of the the high stakes that uh, some people may be seeing uh, in this race in terms of a complete re-envisioning of what uh, the Biden administration will be able to accomplish. Uh, and if you're a moderate Republican who may not like uh, Donald Trump, but may not be super eager to see the Green New Deal, um, Manchin's comments might uh, persuade you somewhat. But before we, I let you go, uh, we, I, we shouldn't forget that there are still a bunch of races out there that haven't been called. What's going on with uh, those? What's going on there? It's a good thing, probably, that the state of New York is not one of the places where there's a contest in the presidential race. Because there are some states, New York among them, where they're just now getting around really to counting uh, absentee or early ballots. And 
that's a lot of what we're going to be watching and why there are so many races uncalled. There's a lot of races that turned out to be really close uh, in the House, for instance, in California. Uh, there were some races that were close in throughout New York State. And so a lot of the reason why a lot of these races are not called, uh, in some cases, they are, they are close. In some cases, they won't be close. Um, but they largely were not called because of just the way the ballots were counted. Uh, and I don't know if your, your listeners know this, but for instance, in Alaska, where Dan Sullivan is up for re-election in the Senate, they weren't supposed to start opening all of the ballots. Uh, the late cast absentee ballots weren't even supposed to be opened until after Veterans Day. So that's partly why it's hard to know exactly whether or not there's going to be a whole much more turnover or whether this is just ballots that haven't been counted. Yeah, uh, all the delays make me wonder whether or not something else that might happen in the next Congress is uh, uh, election reform in some regard. But that's a topic for another day. Niels, thanks for talking with me. Thank you. Niels Lesniewski is CQ Roll Call's chief correspondent. Now we turn to Ellen Ferguson, who covers farming and trade issues on what the Department of Agriculture can expect from the transition. I'm reporting on agriculture and trade and the transition with a President Biden. There's probably no immediate thing that he needs to do in agriculture, but sometime early in his administration, he's going to have to indicate what his stance is on regulations because that's a big issue and concern. In fact, that was one area where President Trump made a big impression on agriculture when his administration did away with the waters of the United States, properly known as WOTUS. The regulation from the Obama era had stirred concerns that federal regulators would dictate to some degree what farmers could do on their land. And that was a particular concern in the Midwest and the Plain States. So that would be one thing that Biden is going to have to indicate where is he going on regulations. Agriculture will also be looking at his nominees for agriculture secretary, as well as for the agriculture negotiator at U.S. Trade Representative's Office. There are also other nominees they'll be looking at. They'll be looking at nominees for the Interior Department, because out West, a lot of the livestock cattle ranchers use federal land to graze on at EPA, the Environmental uh, Protection Agency, which has within its portfolio regulating and setting mandates for the use of ethanol at the commercial level, that which is important, particularly to the Midwest and for corn growers who are a major, who count ethanol as a major market. About one in three bushels of corn go into ethanol. And so that is a major market for them. There have been some concerns with the Trump administration in terms of uh, some uh, waivers or exclusions that were granted and then revoked uh, for uh, small re refineries on the mandate for using ethanol. So that is one area that's going to be very important. And I think one thing that the public is pretty aware of is the billions in trade aid payments that the uh, Trump administration made, uh, primarily because of retaliatory tariffs that China and other trading partners imposed on agricultural goods. That was in response to tariffs that the United States had placed on imported steel and aluminum, as well as more than $300 billion in imported Chinese goods. Now, while 
people kind of raised an eyebrow with that. In agriculture, it's well received, not only because of the, the dollar value and the help with the bottom line, but as uh, Senator Chuck Grassley, who is a senior member of the Senate Agriculture Committee said to me and, and to other reporters that in the past, at least three presidents had had policies that had disrupted agricultural markets and had hit farmer bottom lines. Nixon, because he placed limits on uh, meat prices because of spiraling inflation and there were grain embargoes by Reagan and by Carter that also affected the bottom line. So as Grassley is fond of saying, farmers appreciated the fact that although the trade policies, and they believe those trade policies in the long run may pay off, that a president had paid attention to them, understood that he had initiated a policy that had hurt the bottom line, and that he had tried to compensate for that. Or as Grassley has said, you know, there are very few presidents who have done policies that affected uh, agriculture, hurt agriculture, screwed agriculture, and then tried to make amends for it. So that's something where President Trump has scored with agriculture, and that's something that President Biden is going to have to keep an eye on. That's all for today. Please stay with us and tune in tomorrow when Jason Dick returns. From all of us in the CQ Roll Call Newsroom, thanks for listening.